Now here's my co-host and good buddy, the wild man, Jody White. Hey folks, welcome to episode nine. nine. Episode nine. That's pretty good. We're getting somewhere. Yeah, we're almost two and a half months now we've been doing this. You want to talk about the weather? We usually do that about this time. <laughs> I'm so sick of talking about the weather and traffic and... Black. I mean, I might like talking about the weather if we had nice weather to talk about, yeah. but... Another uh, beautiful day here in Minnesota with a high of zero degrees. Yeah, I hear it's going to get up to like 17 tomorrow, though. Yeah, and this by, weekend is supposed to I mean, uh, get I up in the teens. The, the heat wave is coming. Here come the teens. But, yeah, traffic has been a nightmare. Commutes in and out of work have been a nightmare. And uh, I think the only thing worse about it is hearing everybody talk about it because i mean it's the main topic of conversation at basically every one of my conversations that i've had over the last three days but i'm sick of winter i'm ready for okeechobee only 57 more days so wait you don't like talking about weather (laughs) no oh man see i really like talking about weather okay i think it's fun i as a fisherman i'm very interested in weather i feel like i have a lot i have, have a big stake in it i like to go outside I mean, definitely I, has an effect on. I like fish. talking about weather, that, but yeah, I'm just sick of talking about bad weather. I guess if it was beautiful and 85 degrees out, it'd be sweet, but it's not. It's zero. So yeah, I like sort of trashing weather professionals as well because you know, so many times have they said, "Oh, you know, it's gonna be five mile an hour wind," and what do you know, three footers out on Champlain. So so besides the weather, <laughs> what's been going on? You've been keeping busy? Uh, not really. No? Well, it is the off-season. It's pretty slow around uh, FLW offices this time of year, but doing lots of random busy work, right? I mean, I wouldn't call it busy work, but media guides, we're updating angler profile pages, getting fantasy fishing ready to go. That's kind of exciting. Yeah, I mean, we've definitely... We're doing, we're doing work that's going to pay off. It's just not necessarily super fun to do right now. But right. I think I think we're going to get some good results from it at the end at the end of things we're you know we i we almost have a field list or at least that's what they say we almost have a field list yeah there, there's a tentative list out there i've seen uh I've seen it but of course we can't release any of that information to the public yet but it is coming soon as crazy as uh crazy as that sounds we're just a few weeks out from fantasy fishing i know uh we're gonna be taking the next well we'll be back next week for episode 10 but and then we're taking the holidays off. But when we're coming right back, that first week in January, we're launching it, and I think that podcast episode is going to be very fantasy fishing focused, right? Yeah, I imagine so. And talking to be about honest, all the changes, I really, I really like the changes we've made this year. Definitely, I think they're, I think they're great. I think they, I think they're going to lend themselves to the person who likes to break down these tournaments a little bit more, who is. Maybe not just content just to pick a team, but is content to, but wants to go into the strategy of it a little bit more. I think that's going to be fun. I'll let the cat out of the bag a little bit too. It's going to be uh, open to everybody. It's no longer just a members only deal. So, 
going back to the old style and big changes are coming. I'm looking forward to it. But what else is going on? Uh, you know, not a whole lot. We've got a couple of news items we could go through. Would you like to take a stab yeah, at some of that? Yeah, let's talk some news. I saw, I saw a few stories come across the wire that may be of interest to our listeners. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. If you've got one in mind, why don't you hit it? Okay. Well, the first one was the the new Lawrence uh, deal, the the college. What was it called? The Insight Genesis College Cup. Do you happen to see that? I yes, I did. Yeah. Go ahead and tell them, tell everybody what's about. Well, it's it was a little bit complex reading their press release. Yeah, it took me a few times to read it. But I had once, to I had to really get into it and figure it out. But you know, essentially, what it boils down to is Lawrence has given some pretty sweet incentives for people to share or for college fishermen to share what they're uh to share what they're doing with their the sonar log recording is what it said yeah that which i've never owned a lawrence well i did own a lawrence i don't own one now so i don't really i don't know how these new ones work you know i've used them obviously at the national championship they're super cool but you definitely you do have to have some of the newer units i don't i don't think the first gen um hds stuff works i think you i think you need to have some of the newer units you have to have some certain equipment but basically it lets you some of the stuff now lets you actually record your sonar and they use it to build maps and stuff like that and this is providing incentive for guys to go out and actually share that with them as opposed to keeping that all that goody to themselves definitely and there's some ridiculous prizes as well i mean they're giving away a thousand bucks in prizes every single month wow and 16 grand annually so i mean that's another fifteen hundred bucks every month, and then trips to the Forestwood Cup for the overall winner. I mean, if you if you're out there fishing anyways as a college guy, it's free to sign up for. I don't know why you wouldn't get in on this great deal. Yeah, and some of this is team based, and I think some of this is individual based. So it really seems like this is something if you're a college fisherman that you and you have a Lawrence that you want to get on. I think that it definitely sounds like a pretty interesting thing. Definitely. Live Insight Genesis training webinars are going on right now throughout the end of the month or throughout the month of December. You can find out more information on their website at www.collegecup.lawrence.com. So. Honestly, I'd like to sit in on one of those webinars. <laughs> yeah. Even though I don't have a Lawrence, I'd like to know because you can do so many cool things with today's electronics and you know, you can learn some of that on your own, but it is amazing how much easier it gets when you have a true expert explain it to you. Yeah, absolutely. Whether, whether it's a Mark Rose, whether it's just a, not just, but whether it's a brand representative from Lawrence who actually knows this stuff and they know it back to front. And it's really, it's really incredible. So I think, I think that in itself is cool that they're going to have an opportunity to do some of that live because it's probably a lot easier to do that and learn than it is to read a manual and learn, I would think. I, I would agree 100%. I mean, I don't mind reading electronics manuals. I like it because I know there's going to be a big payoff for me and what I'm going to learn. So many people but, don't, though. Well, okay, let me rephrase. Let me change that. I like reading fishing electronics manuals <laughs> i don't read any other electronics manuals but you give me a fishing electronics manual i'm i am invested in that i want to learn it. i want to take it to the max so i don't mind that kind of manual but even that it's not exactly uh 
lively reading. It's a little uh, bit dry. There's nothing better than curling up on a you know next to a fireplace, the warm cup of cocoa, reading about my new Blu-ray player and uh, all the nice features and things that it can do. So it's you like to I do really that, enjoy. do you? Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. Because see, when Dad and I bought our boat, it came with new units that we were totally foreign to us, and we were driving back from Tennessee with it. Well, what do you know? I just read the. I read the manuals the whole t- whole way up. I learned everything about it. Dad's to this day. Dad still calls me and says, "Jody, how do you do this?" And I have to try and recall a page in the manual in my mind and be like, "All right, you've got to press, I think the pages button, and then you're gonna want to scroll." And so, like, it definitely helped me. And I love doing. I love the manuals now, but at least for that kind of stuff. But have it explained is really cool yeah i was lying i'm not a manual guy i'm totally the kind of guy that go look it up on youtube and find a video how to how to video so yeah i probably should do that more because there are a lot of good how to you can stuff find everything you can on find YouTube. everything on youtube yeah but for whatever reason at least with my fishing electronics i'm way more apt to dive into the manual like i know where they you know i know where they are i've keep the manual in the I keep a PDF copy of the manual on my phone in case I need in case I need it. So maybe I'm just crazy. All right, yeah. And anybody that's you know throwing a bone to our college anglers, I'm a fan of those guys. Need to get as much love as they can. So props to Lawrence for offering this cool program. And if you're one of the college guys listening, get in on this deal. Yeah. And now our next piece of news for anybody who somehow stuck around through what was probably like five minutes of talking about electronics yeah. manuals, which I realize now is probably extraordinarily boring. Do you want to talk? It's the a little off bit? season. Come on, man. Do you want to talk a little bit about bass, <laughs> big bass? Yeah, absolutely. What's going on with big bass? So they did. I guess they did a study recently, and we've seen the effects of this just on Chickamauga. But Casey Martin, yeah, Casey Martin, uh, Rogne, Rogne yeah. Brown, yeah, in the, the uh, in the spring in the, in the BFL. Um, you know, Chickamauga's got some huge fish. We all know that. And apparently almost all of those huge fish are crosses between the Florida strain bass that they started putting in the lake like 10 years ago and the uh, northern strain largemouth that were already in there. And do you Yeah, wanna... you, mu- you must be talking about the article that was in the Chattanooga, the, the Chattanooga newspaper basically out of... Yeah, it was in a couple of places. It's in Clarksville Online, the voice of Clarksville, Tennessee ah, okay. as okay. well. Um I think it was in the Chattanooga. I think it. I think it, it got some play. It got some play. I think people in Tennessee were pretty excited to see this. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't know a whole lot about what they did. I mean, I know that they stocked, you know, Chickamauga with some Florida strains, but to see that the big bass aren't just Florida strains, you know, that it's a, a mix and these bass are integrating. It's it's great for the lake. Yeah. Well, the thing that they said is. That that they said in the article, anyhow, is that because, you know how, well, you're familiar with the term hybrid vigor, right? No. Okay. Well, mixed breeds of dogs, a lot of times they'll tend to live longer than just a regular standard breed of dogs. They'll hmm. be healthier. Um, I never knew that. Now you do. Hmm. And it's kind of true all across things. When you cross different I don't know if you can cross species. You can't cross species because species are genetic, like 
they don't breed. That's what part... When you cross different... I'll say breeds or strains, but when you cross things, they, their offspring actually typically are more fit to compete. They grow better. They get bigger. They live longer. They do all sorts of things better than the pure breed. And that's kind of what's happening on Chickamauga and maybe even other places. You know, they stocked uh, Florida strain bass on the south end of Kentucky Lake, and maybe we're going to see that happen on Kentucky Lake. I'm guessing they put Florida strain bass in Gunnersville. Again, I don't know this. I want to look it up now and find out. I did some minimal research and <laughs> didn't find anything that said, oh, they're in Gunnersville too. But I would guess that that's a big reason why you're seeing, you know, such big fish out of Chickamauga and other places too, which is really cool. Definitely. Great news for Lake Chickamauga fans. I mean, I know they've been doing it for more than 10 years, but it, we're finally just now starting to see some of the results, and it's great. Yeah, for sure. The other – I like talking about this kind of stuff. I was going to be a fisheries biologist, and then I found out that I couldn't do math. But the other thing that they talked about in the article was how I think in 2005 maybe – there had been like a really exceptional spawn, maybe it was 2003, on Chickamauga. And that that, all coupled with that Chickamauga's got more grass in it now, that it might not be... That the reason we've got so many more fish and so many more big fish in Chickamauga, it might not be all that they're a mix. It might be also that they are just... There's a coincidence of ideal conditions right now. Sure. So I think that's cool that you. There's never any sure thing in science. Well, there is. There are sure things in science, but in this compressed time period, there's not a sure thing like that. And I think that's pretty cool. Definitely. Any other stories going on? I'm pretty sure all of our listeners are asleep now. But wake up! We got some cool stuff coming. I don't. Well, not really. <laughs> um, I don't really. I, I mean, I guess people could be asleep, but the last two things were very interesting to me. I think the next thing we've got is that in the future, there might be a chance for you to buy a piece of Ranger. Or, well, not Ranger, but Platinum Equity, which is right. all of the different boat brands that are tied up with Ranger. Champion, Ranger, Stratus, Triton. Yeah, I thought I thought that was pretty cool. I thought that was actually just a positive story for fishing in general. To me, because it tells, you know, it tells me, and the story was, Bass Fan put it up, and the story was actually on tradeonlytoday.com, where they had the full article. I thought it was kind of a positive thing, because apparently this company is doing well enough, it's got good enough indicators that people could want to buy it, or buy into it. And, I mean, that seems like a good thing for fishing, if the fishing, you know, if companies in the fishing industry are doing that well, I mean, that's good, right? I, I think so. I am by no means a stock market expert, uh, but I saw this as good news as well. I mean, I would love to own a piece of it. Are you a stock market guy? Do you own any stock? Mm, I own some stock in Dad's family, in our family business, but that's just because... Is that a public offering? No. No? Oh. So that's I say, why. I would maybe buy some shares of that. I don't think you want to buy shares of that. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you straight up. I think you want to probably stay away from that. 
Um, but look at Platinum Equity, though. Yeah, um, I think that would be. Re- I think it'd be public. really cool to own stock in Ranger. Like, I would like to own stock in Definitely. Strike King. I don't know how I could do that. I don't know if they're public or not. Can you imagine telling David Dudley you're his boss? Or <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure that's quite how it works, but <laughs> I do think that would be really cool because I, you know, I love fishing. I'd just like to know more about it. I think that'd be neat. Definitely. Well, I know that you've been uh, looking at some stats as well, and you've got some uh, weight averages for us. Tell, tell me what's going on there. All right. So this is our, not game of the week, but this is my stat of the week here. I went ahead and I looked up, excuse me while I turn the page. I Cody lo- did his homework. Yeah, I looked up the uh, average weight per fish on the pro side. The last time the FLW Tour visited the lakes that we're visiting this year. Does that make sense? Kind of. Okay, so, so let's say Okeechobee, for example. You took the average weight of every fish weighed in last year? Yes. On the pro side. Okay. On the pro side. And you can do this right online, right on the FLW website. Okay. And, uh, so let, let me try to guess then. Let me go backwards here. I, I've got the seven FLW Tour events. In front of me, let me just kind of guess at what what the average weight of a bass weight in there would be. Um, I guess I'll start with number seven. So the lowest you think? Yeah. Okay. So here's what I th- looking at the tour schedule. I'm gonna guess Lake Hartwell as being number seven. Oh and- boy, are you wrong? What? You are, you're startlingly wrong. <laughs> That's BS. Lake Hartwell is actually, let's see here. Lake Hartwell is actually third. Third? Wow. Okay. Looking at the lakes on our schedule, that's kind of crazy. But Okay, well, go and ahead and tell last me. Time, so last time we fished Hartwell was in 2012. Brent Ayler won that tournament. Yep. That was the first event I ever went to with FLW. A little fun fact for everybody. There you go. I'll never forget that tournament. Cool. I thought it was a pretty cool tournament at the time. Yeah. I mean, I like, I kind of like, I like tournaments that Brent Ayler wins, and I like that kind of fishing that Hartwell and like Lewis Smith last year, those type of lakes. Mm-hmm. I think that's cool. Um, so so about, you like Brent Ayler tournaments, is what you're saying? Well, yeah, I like drop shot tournaments. Really, if I can, I, I like drop shots. Okay. So you could say I like Cody Meyer tournaments too. Okay. So last time we visited Hartwell, 2012. Two pounds, six ounces was your average fish. Two, six. And that's number three overall, huh? That's number three. Wow. Okay. I might not be very good at this game. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what's your next What's your next lake here? Okay. My next guess for the last ranked lake would be 2014 Forestwood Cup location, Lake Murray. Yeah, you got that right. Okay. Lake Murray's number seven. Yeah. We were last there for a tour-level yeah, event. Yeah, it's been a while. So 2008, last Forest Wood okay. Cup. One pound, 14 ounces. One, it was rough. One pound, 14 ounce average. Ooh. Okay. Well, they're catching numbers there. That's the good thing. I well, hope. I hope. Yeah, I wouldn't be so quick to say they're catching numbers there. They weren't then, anyhow. I haven't heard how the lake has been lately. Have you interviewed any pros for the media guide about Lake Murray? Or, Well, you know, I did. I talked to uh, Brian Thrift about Lake Murray, actually. Oh, I think he and, knows a few things. Yeah, he, 
you know, he's been known to catch fish. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he finished 15th in that Forest Wood Cup, actually. And he said it's probably going to be kind of tough again. He predicted better weights than we saw last time, and he says the lake okay. is fishing maybe a little bit better. But the only real difference is that there are more herring in the lake, so that or blueback herring. So that offshore bite, that sort of schooling bite, is a little bit, maybe a little bit more consistent to do. Although everybody knows herring are like the least consistent thing ever. <laughs> so that's not saying a whole lot, I don't think. I think it's going to be another close, tough tournament. We know there's huge fish in Murray. I mean, we've seen some just enormous weights out of Murray in the past, but those are springtime tournaments, and we're going there in the heat of the summer, and it's going to be tough again. Okay. But, hey, you know, the uh, when the going gets tough, the tough get going or whatever it is. So we're going we're gonna to see the best of the best, you know, have a duke it out there. I think it'll be fun. Right. Okay. So Lake Murray was number seven. Number six on my list I can't believe it's not Hartwell I can't believe Hartwell's third but I'm gonna go with FLW Mainstay Beaver Lake alright you're right about this woohoo um but here's the thing it's actually fifth because Beaver Lake is tied there's a tie there's a tie wow there's a tie okay at two pounds three ounces there is a tie Hmm. Beaver Lake has a two-pound, three-ounce average. It would be interesting to see what stats were like. Pre-A-Rig? Yeah, before the big uh, change in 2011. I didn't look that up, but I am... Heck, I'll go look it up right now. Um, But I would really like... I want to know that, too. Because I think that's a... That's a cool... That's a cool stat. Cool coincidence. Definitely. I mean, Beaver Lake was never known as a big fish lake, but... There have been some high teens, 20-pound bags weighed in there. Yeah, I think, you know, I guess it'll be interesting to see and compare this year to last year. Because that's, and even this Mm -hmm. year to two years ago. Right. We still had the Alabama rig then. I think that'll be really cool to, uh, to see what the change is. Yeah, two years ago was when Dudley won it with his homemade modified rig that he was throwing but well yeah and he threw a uh, wacky rig on the last day mm-hmm. which was actually pretty key in letting him catch fish out of trees that he mm-hmm. had to dunk his head in the water in um in for so what do you think beavers tied with that's what i want to know okay so beavers tied her fifth well i mean when i wrote this list out the the next well the next four lakes that are on our list are considered pretty good lakes but i had sam rayburn reservoir ranked as number four or but you're saying it could be tied is it sam rayburn it is wow i'm i am frankly i'm shocked i'm shocked you got that right because the last time we went to sam rayburn it was 10xd time phil marks blew everybody out of the water i thought there's no way he's gonna pick sam rayburn to be tied with Beaver Lake. Well, the thing, and you just did. The thing was, with Rayburn, I mean, Phil Marks did blow him out of the water, but not everybody was. I mean, it, there were a lot of uh, smaller stringers weighed in, and there were some guys that didn't weigh in limits. Yeah, I mean, the uh, 
Jacob Wheeler said this to me about Rayburn, is that it's like Okeechobee, where it can be hard to catch four-pounders across the board, even though there are huge fish in there, and you can Mm -hmm. make that up with you know, a six or a seven pounder just on any cast. You never know, but it's hard to get that just big quality consistency that you see on some other lakes. And I'm sure going forward, you might be able to use that information. Okay. So Rayburn is tied for fifth. That's kind of shocking to me. So then we were, we're down to our final four lakes. Basically we know Lake Hartwell is third. Yes, we do. I'm going to guess, Pickwick Lake is number four. No. What? Okay. In 2011, which that is pre-Alabama rig for Beaver Lake. Yes. Yes. 2011 was the first year that yep. it was really affected there. Actually, Wait. I mean, no, 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 no. The end of the 2011 season was when the Alabama rig debuted. Yeah, so so Beaver 2011 Lake Beaver pre- Lake event is pre-Alabama rig. That was thrift, right? Thrift won that event, I believe. Maybe I can click on the event. Two pounds, okay. two ounces. Only an ounce difference. Wow. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, so I guess, I, I mean, it I kind of want to go back and look at some know. more Beaver Lake now. <laughs> I wonder if maybe Beaver Lake, it's an easy place. Maybe not an easy place, but it's a good place to catch 10 pounds or like 9 pounds, but it's not a good place to catch, you know, 15, 16 mm. pounds. Maybe that. Maybe it's that kind of lake. But anyhow, what were we on? We, you just said Pickwick, right? Yeah, I guessed Pickwick is number four, and you said I was wrong. Yeah, you were wrong. Um, Kentucky Lake? You're also wrong about that. What? It's not Okeechobee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you better believe it. Okeechobee is number four, huh? That was my number one pick. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okeechobee, number four, two pounds, five ounces. That's shocking. Well, you know, it's kind of along the lines of what Jacob Wheeler said about Sam Rayburn. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, we always see the giant, the Randall Tharp 30-pound stringers. and You see the giant bags, but you don't see the guys who go out and they fish all day for those big bites. And they come on with five little 12-inchers, and they might have been a flip that was two inches away from a 10-pounder. You know what I mean? So that's... Wow. That's shocking to me. I was surprised to see that as well. So, but knowing how tough Florida is for me, I know these guys are great, but Florida's a big adjustment for a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, it's a steep learning curve. Florida compared to anywhere else in the country. So I, th- I could see that being a factor as well. Wow. So Okeechobee's at four, and we know Hartwell is number three. Yeah, that so means basically, the two TVA lakes are one, two. You've got you got to pick them. And remember, this is the last time we fished them, so... Kentucky Lake was 2012. Pickwick Lake was also 2012. That was an open. Uh, is that what you're going off of, or are you going off I've of I've got Pickwick old... Lake in 2011. Okay, so that was the major that Mark Rose won. Mark Rose actually won them both on Pickwick. Yeah, he's pretty good. But, okay, so we're going off 2011 Pickwick or 2012 Kentucky Lake. I'm going to say Kentucky Lake is number two. No. Dang it. Kentucky Lake's number one. Pickwick's number two. You want, you want to hazard a guess at what the pound and ounce figures are for those lakes? Ooh. Okay, well, Okeechobee's at two pounds, five ounces. I'm going to say they've got to be two pounds, 
10 ounces? Am I in, could they get over three? Well, they're not over three. Okay. Kentucky's at 211. Pickwick's at 28. Okay, wow. So Kentucky is the, the big bass lake that we're going to this year. Well, I guess so. But <laughs> I honestly think that, you know, we're going to Rayburn in the spring. I think that is going to be a slugfest. Yeah. I think, obviously, Okeechobee, you get that right weather, it could be a slugfest too. You know, last year was kind of a down year for Okeechobee, and that's what we took the weight from. If we'd taken yeah, that absolutely. from, I think it was 2011 when everybody crushed them, mm-hmm. I think that weight would be a lot different. So I think, you know, weather, de- weather depending and stuff like that, I don't expect these weights to stay the same. Hmm. Although, and I could even see us doing better on Kentucky Lake than we did last time on Kentucky Lake. Because last year on Kentucky, or last time we were at Kentucky Lake, I recall, and I was actually, I actually fished it that summer. I recall a lot of guys had trouble catching fish because there was very little current and a lot of the fish had gone a lot deeper than normal. Mm-hmm. It was kind of an exceptional Kentucky Lake Yeah, Lefebvre had found the deep school and that was his key to victory. Yeah. And I think he might have, well, you know, there were, it was an, it was an odd tournament for Kentucky Lake that time of year. So I think we could see that do better. Pickwick, I mean, Pickwick's been fishing amazing the last couple of times we've gone there. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you know, we're not going there in March or whatever, and we're not throwing an Alabama rig. So maybe we see that stay about the taper same. Or... Maybe taper off. Like The only ones that I think I would feel strongly about seeing improve are, I would say, Kentucky Lake, and Rayburn. Okeechobee's weather dependent. I think Murray will improve too, just because it's another couple of mm-hmm. men a couple of years. Because Thrift said so. <laughs> well, he said so. Our guys are better fishermen than they were in 2008. So I'm banking on that anyhow. Definitely. I would agree with that. Statement. I can, uh, you know, I, I could see Murray improve, but I don't feel crazy strong about that. All right. Well, that was fun. Kentucky Lake. Who would have thunk it? Yeah. I mean, that. Heck, Kentucky Lake, for a long time, it's been one of the premier lakes in the country, so it's not really a huge surprise to see it up there. Right. Um, for sure. I will say, though, you know, if we had been going to, say, St. Clair, St. Clair would have been the top of this list. Because it had, like, it had, a, it was one of the few lakes that had over a three pound average the last hmm. time we visited it. That'd be a fun stat for maybe even next week, is like, not just the 2014 tour, but in history, what lakes have been the highest average? Yeah, I mean, I, it's on a lot the of website. Work, a lot we of can, work. We can figure that out, I think. Yeah. Maybe something fun to uh, talk about. But let's check in with Chris Jones. What's been going on? How have you been? You need to see some big old Lake Achille Bass. Oh, Chris, I like your thinking. One guy that knows how to find them is our next interview. Jody, are you ready to get Mike on the phone? I think so, Mr. King of the Segway here. Yeah, let's get Castro Pro Mike Sermon on. Here he is. And now we're joined by Castro Pro Mike Sermon. He's an Okeechobee stick. He lives in Florida. We're going to talk a little bit of 2014, a little bit of Okeechobee. We've got all kinds of good stuff to talk about. Mike, how have you been? How's your off-season been so far? You know, it's been great, guys, and thanks a bunch for calling, but... Uh... You know, the the off season's been a little bit hectic. We've been doing a lot of uh, charity events for Castro and running all over the country, and uh, really enjoyed myself. And right now, I, I know it's probably a little bit colder than what it is uh, 
down here it's unbelievably 84 degrees and beautiful outside and you know it's not it's not a bad place to be living in Boca Raton so uh, we're we're definitely pretty happy to be down here right now with the way the weather is all over the country gosh mike jody's holding his hands and his heads in his head right now are his head and his hands right now excuse me it's a we have a high up here in minnesota of 0 degrees today so hearing that you're sitting down in the 84 has got jody uh, yearning for south florida yeah, I, I fished this weekend on Lake Okeechobee and really got sunburned. So um, I had a lot of sunscreen on. I just didn't reapply like a dummy, and uh, it was just gorgeous. I mean, the, the weather down here, this is why everybody lives in South Florida. It, the winter times are just absolutely gorgeous, and uh, living so close to one of the greatest lakes in the country is uh, not a bad thing either. The good news is only 57 days away until uh, day one, Lake Okeechobee, so... We feel real bad about you getting sunburned, Mike. Uh, no, we don't. I- I'm telling you. <laughs> well, it's it's a it's one of those hazards of the job. If you'll you know if you say that, uh, unfortunately, I'm stuck down here and uh, having to fish, you know, all the time on beautiful Lake Okeechobee. But um, I'm excited about the the upcoming year. The tournament is, uh, like you said, coming up quickly and uh lake okeechobee's fishing as good as it's ever been so i'm i'm really excited about the tournament definitely well we'll get into we'll get back into okeechobee in just a little bit but first i wanted to like fill fans in on your story basically what is your story where did you grow up how did you get into fishing how did you get into tournament fishing well, you know, I, I grew up in uh, Houston, Texas, and grew up with a father that was a really avid fisherman, and mainly saltwater fishing because I lived so close to the coast and did a lot of trout and red fishing. And we, we did fish uh, for bass. We uh, fished at Toledo Bend and Rayburn and Lake Conroe, you know, some too. But being so close to the saltwater, I mainly fished uh, saltwater, but I fished every Saturday and Sunday with my dad all the way through high school and uh, just was, you know, just loved the, loved the, uh, you know, the fishing aspect of it. But then what really got me excited was when I graduated from Texas A&M with an engineering degree and I got it offered to, uh, come to beautiful Boca Raton, Florida, which was close to Lake Okeechobee and close to the coast and everything. And I kind of got started fishing some bass club events and, uh, did real well in some bass club events and slowly started going into, uh, some money tournaments and one thing led to another and I was just hooked the competition side of the uh, of the sport is just it really is fun and I, I just got absolutely hooked on it and I guess I've been uh, since 1982 I've lived down here in South Florida and uh, been fishing Lake Okeechobee regularly and I I fished from 82 until about uh, 96 fished every major event that came to Okeechobee and um, fished some BASS and had I had two third places in BASS and won a bunch of tournaments, won a bunch of boats, and really thought that um, you know this this sport was really good until all one one day I got an email about uh, FLW coming in 1996 coming to Lake Okeechobee and I just got excited and got excited about the organization and also that a big tournament was coming to my home lake and i was fortunate enough to uh to win that very first flw tournament in 1996 and i've been fishing uh every flw event since then so i've i've really enjoyed myself in doing my homework and getting ready for this interview i i heard an insane stat and i just wanted to confirm that with you but 
There was like a six-year period there in the 80s where you won six or seven fully rigged brand-new boats. Yep, I won. Uh, I, I I mean, that used to be my lake. I won eight fully rigged boats uh, Wow! B- before I ever went out. And then I won probably $500,000 on Lake Okeechobee just fishing local stuff. One, one year alone, I won 26 tournaments on the lake. I was fishing tournaments on Saturdays, fishing tournaments on and then following up the next day and fishing on Sundays. I was fishing every event that you could imagine on the lake and and I was I was pretty pretty good, but now I'm old and uh senile and it's uh, it's a different story. I don't get to fish you know, fish Okeechobee as much as I used to. I only probably get to fish it um, you know, eight or ten times a year and in the old days I was fishing it every uh Saturday and Sunday and could really follow the fish around and it's such a giant lake that uh you know it's just one of those things when you when you kind of fish it all the time you know exactly what the fish are doing and you can kind of follow them around the lake and you know i really stayed dialed in for a lot of years and ever since that i just i just don't get to fish it as much i don't stay as dialed in i do love the lake and i every once in a while i luck into them and uh can catch them but it's uh it's not like in the old days Okay, well, let's talk a little bit, I guess, compare the old days to the new days. You've been doing this for 30 years now? Yeah. I'm terrible at math. That's <laughs> it, 30 years. What are some of the biggest changes you've seen since 30 years ago to now? Either Okeechobee specifically or just tournament fishing as a whole? Well, you know, for one, the competition has made everybody a lot better. So that's that's one of the things. The the fishermen now, even even you know, starting out at the young age, you know, of you know, twelve years old and thirteen, fourteen, fifteen year old kids. These kids have more knowledge than we ever had. We did everything by experiment, and um, the reason why I was so successful back in the old days was because. Um, a technique came out called flipping and pitching that there just really wasn't a whole lot of people doing way back then. And even more than that, I got very fortunate and was experimenting one day and um, got a saltwater weight to try to get down into some heavy cover. And there we didn't even have bullet weights or whatever that were, you know, one ounce. Now we have two ounce or whatever, but we didn't have one ounce. We had like half ounce weights or whatever. So that was a heavy, heavy weight. You really couldn't get down the cover. So nobody fished in the cover like that. So um, I got a saltwater weight and kind of got into some heavy cover and caught some big fish. And I was like, man, I really got intrigued. And then I started experimenting, trying to figure out different ways to uh, to get in there and um, I owned a company called Gambler Worms, which is still around. I don't own it anymore. I've sold it. But I had a partner, Russ Bringer, and myself that he was a big flipper also. And we just experimented. And we started building weights ourselves that uh, could get down into the cover. And the reason why I won so many tournaments was there was nobody else doing it. Nowadays, it's it's almost everybody does it, and it's it's just a lot more difficult to uh, you know to beat the competition because everybody's doing it. But in the old days, you know, everybody would cast to the edge. I could go right behind people. They didn't really know what I was doing, and I could be flipping way back in the cover and catching just giant fish. And, uh, you know, so it was it was kind of like I had an advantage that a lot of people didn't know about. And it slowly got out uh, what we were doing, and it slowly evolved. And now it's evolved into there's guys, you know, like I said, using two-ounce weights and everything else. And the guys, just all the equipment's gotten better. I, in the old days, we used a, we used a giant, I mean, a rod that was so heavy it was ridiculous that uh, big handle, big broomstick rod, if you will, that, uh, 
it was the only thing you could get the power to get out of it, and it wore you out, you know, by the end of the day's fishing. But uh, that was what we needed, and now the you know all the rods and reels and everything are better. We've got light rods that are got more power than the old big broomsticks that we had in the old days, and so uh, and just everything has evolved, and it just made fishing. Um, a lot better, if you will, because you can get the fish that uh, we never used to be able to even get to. So we're talking to the inventor of punching right now, almost. <laughs> I'm just, well, I'm, I'm floored. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that it was, I was the inventor, but I was definitely one of the first ones to do it. Um, you know, it was, we had heard about flipping out in California, um, but it really was it really wasn't uh they were you know flipping jigs and things like that, but you just couldn't get a jig into the cover and things that that we could get get into and uh like I said, I owned uh gambler worms and we we designed a bait called a crawdaddy that was a big crawfish imitator with big claws on it, but it was real it was it was made it was made a certain way that would go in and out of the cover really good, and that one bait is what I probably won uh, you know. 80 or 90 percent of all the tournaments that I won uh, was on that one bait, and it's just—it um, was just a technique that nobody else was doing, and it was a lot of fun for an awful lot of years. That is—that is so cool that like, you could be the guy who had the silver bullet, sort of. That <laughs> you figured that out, and other people hadn't. That's just—that's amazing. Changed the game. Yeah, that is—that is—that's so cool. Well, like imagine- Oka- Okeechobee has got so many giants, and it was, you know, the the way that it, we really figured it out the very first time was um, there was a lot of hyacinths and things, and it was blowing 25 mile an hour, and you couldn't really move your boat anymore. We didn't have power poles. We didn't have all that stuff, and our trolling motors weren't near as strong, and all you could kind of do was just you blew around when, the, when it blew that hard with the wind, and you could blow up into some of these hyacinth mats. And then uh, the boat would at least stop. And then you just, you know, you'd say, well, God, if I could get down in there, surely there's fish down in there. And we would do everything we can with our little quarter-ounce weights and, you know, whatever. We even experimented putting two and three weights on at a time and trying to use a toothpick and pegging them and did different <laughs> things. And finally we started experimenting with, uh, like I said, with the saltwater weights. And that just that changed everything. And a light bulb kind of went off, and uh, we were off and running. Mike, you mentioned uh, some of the younger guys coming up and sort of the next generation. Uh, I know your son, Matt, fished as a co-angler at Okeechobee last year and actually had a pretty respectable showing. I believe he took 30th. But uh, how good of a stick is he, and does he have any plans of, you know, our aspirations of becoming a bass fishing pro? You know, he definitely does, and he he is a great kid, and he just is addicted like his dad was uh, at his age, and he definitely would love to do it full time, but like just like I did, I told him that uh, you know the best thing to do is get an education, uh, which he did. He gra- just graduated from University of Central Florida, and then get a good job, and then just start doing it on weekends and try to, you know, uh, evolve your craft and get better and better. And then if you ever want to go out and try to do it, you know, like I did, uh, you can do it, but you've got a, something to fall back on. But he really is a good fisherman, and he uh, he like his dad. He loves to flip and pitch, and uh, he got a, a a big bite in the FLW tournament last year. I think he caught one that was like eight thirteen or something like that, and it nice. was it was a giant. He caught it flipping with a big gambler crawdaddy and a one ounce weight. So he was he was really <laughs> excited. But he uh, 
he really is a good fisherman, and he is definitely addicted. And if he had the opportunity to go out there full-time, he would be there in a heartbeat. Very cool. I want to ask a little bit about Gambler, just because I feel like probably two out of three, maybe more, of the Florida BFLs and the Okeechobee BFLs that I do when I call somebody and say, well, how did you catch your fish? It seems like there's, I don't think there's any part of the country that has like a more dominant bait company than Gambler is in Florida. Is that just because a whole lot of people use it? Or how how does Gambler make stuff that works so well in Florida, I guess? Because it's really amazing to me every time I see it. Yeah, it. I mean... To, to be honest with you, it, it started out with uh, my partner and I and just trying to experiment, and uh, we got a lot of really top-notch local Florida fishermen that would uh, were our friends, and we did it not as a as a business almost, just as a you know it was a hobby. We all had jobs, and everybody would come over, and we said we ought to make a bait that would do this, and we just made baits that were really good in grass, and that's what Lake Okeechobee is really is, and that's what mainly most of Florida is. And so our baits kind of took off because a lot of the baits that were out on the market back 30 years ago were terrible in grass. You know, ribbon tail worms, you know, were would wrap around grass immediately. The you know the standard worm that was out there. Our worm, we had a ribbon tail worm that we beefed up the tail, so it was thicker and it made it go through grass better. And then we started with a paddle tail worm and we started with a flapping shed and just we made baits that that really worked. And it just kind of evolved. We had a lot of the top fishermen in Florida, you know, that were our friends that were using the baits and so word kind of spread and it just it's a, it's been a company that's just dominated for years and years and um you know, it just kind of evolved and Unfortunately, my partner, uh, Russ Bringer, died of pancreatic cancer about five years ago, and uh, we sold the company uh, after he passed away. And uh, the guy that bought it, his name's Val Osinski, and he's taken the company even even on further and developed even more baits. Right now, one of the hottest baits on Lake Okeechobee is called the Big Easy, and um, it's it's just been dominating tournaments. So it's it's definitely an, another in the line of the great uh, you know gambler baits that just uh kind of has have a reputation of catching big fish and so when the people come to florida they just uh inherently pick one up and start catching fish and i think that's why it's done so well for so many years mike do you run a guide service on the lake at all obviously with your experience uh, i would imagine quite a few customers would want to go fishing with you and learn some of your techniques and tactics you know, I really, I really don't do, have a guide service. I still have a full-time job, believe it or not, which is uh, I still am an electrical engineer and have a uh, work for a, a giant German company called Siemens, and I, I work 50 hours a week probably uh, just doing Siemens business. So I really never had time to do the guide service. All I do, I do a lot of charity stuff and I do a lot of uh, promotional stuff, doing some guiding for uh, Castrol and things and. Uh, but I really have never done much guiding. I've, I've shiner fished, believe it or not, only shiner fished about ten times in the thirty years. So, and that's how all the uh, you know the uh, guides on Lake Okeechobee really make their money is shiner fishing. So, uh, I guess one day when I get to retire, and instead of uh, 
being a greeter at Walmart or something, maybe I may uh, end up trying to do some guiding on Lake Okeechobee. How does that work with a full-time job and being a full-time FLW tour fisherman? You know, it's not it's not easy. Let's put it that way, and it's it's uh, difficult at, at times for my psyche because it's. Uh, I've always thought that I could get out there if I if I had the time to get out and compete with uh, with the guys that I could be as good as the other guys. The reality is, you know, working like I do, uh, a lot of times I don't get the full amount of practice, or um, I'll be driving, you know. At, midnight trying to get to the next event and i've done no pre-practice i've done no map studying i really just don't have time to do a lot of that and that has definitely hurt me over the years but that being said the the great thing about working for siemens and having a job and trying to do it is i i don't have to catch them like you know a lot of the guys if they don't catch them you know they're they're putting their entry fees when you first start out they're putting their entry fees on a credit card and they're they're fishing scared or whatever when i go out I get to go out and uh, kind of fish is almost like it's a vacation. So I get to go and and I definitely like to compete and and I definitely want to win, which I have not won again since 1996, which is really frustrating. But I've had some good seasons and I've also had some bad seasons. But that's just inherently with having a full time job and uh, doing everything else that I do. That it's just it's it's not meant to be. But uh, someday, hopefully, I can retire and and do it a couple years full time and just see what happens. That would be pretty cool because you certainly have shown in the past that you were able to find fish and stay with fish and figure fish out. So if you had more time to do it, maybe that would that'd be neat to see if you could. You, I mean, you've had a couple of not stellar years recently. It'd be cool if, to see if you could do it better with more devoted, being more devoted to it. So that'd be neat. Yeah, you know this this sport is it's so unbelievable. You know, last year was was one of my worst years you know and i don't remember the years they they all kind of run together but my highest finish career-wise was uh for anger of the year was like third and then i had i think a seventh or an eighth one year so i competed you know with everybody and then last year on the in the opens or the year before in the opens i think i came in sixth overall and i think they took five to the championship so i was the first guy out so that was a little frustrating but i had a really good year and then last year, that's the problem with this sport. When you're only fishing six tournaments, you can have a bad tournament or two, and in six tournaments, you can't make it up. So last year was one of my worst years. So it just it goes in cycles. Hopefully, uh, you know, I need a good start at Lake Okeechobee, and hopefully that that, that will just kind of keep me rolling for um, you know throughout this year, and I'll have a lot better year. Mike, how much longer would you like to fish on the FLW Tour? And what goals do you have that you'd like to see yourself accomplish before it's before your time is up? Well, my my goals are, you know, maybe not like a lot of the other guys. My my main goal is I would love to win another tournament, um, just so that I can say that uh, you know I wasn't a, a one time wonder or whatever. And uh, I would just like to be con- more consistent. I think that uh, you know I would love to fish for another. 10 years or whatever at least and if uh, you know if i had the opportunity to you know to make some championships and do whatever i'd love to win one but that's really not a goal my my goal anymore is really just to be more consistent and and then hopefully one um, you know win another tournament or two and you know just 
I, I'm so fortunate to have such a great sponsor in Castrol, and they, you know, they they just take such great care of us, and you know, I get to do so many really, really just awesome uh, things. I just got done doing a Wounded Warrior uh, tournament a few weeks ago that Castrol sent me to, and. You know, I get to do some things that uh, I would have never got to do had I not had the relationship with Castrol. And so, I, you know, my goals have changed a little bit. I've, I've definitely evolved into I would love to do, you know, as many of those kind of benefit things. And uh, I definitely want to catch fish on the tour, don't get me wrong. But I, I really enjoy, you know, doing a lot of the benefit things and things that uh, Castrol allows me to do. Very cool. Now, a couple weeks ago, I got you on the phone and talked to you about Okeechobee for the 2014 Media Guide. And I was hoping that now you could, I guess, talk to our listeners a little bit about how Okeechobee's going to fish this year. You know, if it's changed at all the last year since we've been there and stuff like that. Because when I talked to you about it, I felt like you explained everything really well. And you could tell that you were really knowledgeable about the lake. And you've been there recently. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um... You know the lake is the lake's as good as it's ever been, and you know what happens in January when or you know first of February when FLW rolls in town every year, that's when the lake's at its most vulnerable. And by that I mean, um, you know it's 84 degrees. It's the middle of December right now, and that's that's essentially you know what these fish are used to year round. Well, in January and February, we always seem to get one or two severe cold fronts. And then they don't last long. They only last a couple days. And the temperatures may drop down into the 40s or every once in a while even into the 30s. And when that hits, it just makes those fish go into shock. They're just like all the Florida residents. We know that it's going to be 84 (laughs) in a couple days. And so when it's 40 degrees, we don't go outside. Well, it's the same thing with the fish. When it's 40 degrees, they don't come out to play very much. And so... What happens is if we get, you know, a beautiful week of weather like we did a couple of years ago, you would just see massive, massive uh, catches. Just, you know, I think uh, three years ago I had 20 pounds the first day and I was in 50th place. So, and then I followed that up with 24 pounds and I think I ended up all the way in 21st place. So 44 pounds, I ended up in 21st place. So, Jeez. you know, you could see that again. But what happened that year was we just had stable, you know, 80-something degree weather the the entire week, and the fish just went crazy, and, and that's really pretty normal. But uh, if we were to get a severe cold front, you will see the weights go down. You won't see, you know, somebody will have uh, a chance at catching a 100-pound bag for the week, uh, but you won't see 50 places catching 20 pounds. You'll see, you know, the top 10 will have 20 pounds, and then it'll slowly drop off. But it just all depends on our weather. I mean, the fish are there. Um, the lake is fishing really good. It's about a foot higher than what we fished it last year. It's uh, the lake level is 14.6 last year, and we fished it about 13.6 last year. And what that extra foot does is just it just pushes fish further back inside, and it opens up some places that you weren't able to get to last uh, last year. But all in all, the lake's fishing really good, and you can really win anywhere around the lake, which is pretty awesome. There's years when, uh, you know, one side's fishing better or one side's not quite as good or whatever the deal is. But this year, um, the lake is the lake level's really good that and the fishing's good, you know, pretty much 360 around the lake. So I'm thinking the boats are going to spread out a little bit more, and uh, if we get the weather right, it could really be an unbelievable tournament. 
Okay. Mike, what are your thoughts on some of the rule changes that FLW implemented for 2014? Obviously, we've got the uh, No More Alabama rig and uh, the new social media rules that allow anglers to keep fans updated. Any thoughts on those? You know, I I really, I I like the change. I really do. I'm kind of old school in the fact that, uh, you know, when the Alabama rig came out, I was was all, you know, excited about it and uh, really wanted to try to learn as much as I could about it. Mm -hmm. And what I found out about it, in my mind, was that, it it really was just kind of, you know, look, a cast and reel rig, and if you cast it and threw it and reeled it enough, you were going to catch fish with it. And it just, it almost, to me, it took a lot of the, the thought about using other lures and other techniques and a lot of things just out of, out of the, you know, the pro's hand, and it kind of made everybody pretty much forced to fish the Alabama rig. And... Um, I just didn't like it. So I am definitely excited about what FLW did. I think it was the right decision. Um, you know, it, it's going to – I'm not saying that, uh, you know, that there's not going to be new techniques that come out that are going to be just as good as the Alabama rig or whatever, but I just think that it's going gonna, it's gonna to kind of open the playing field back up again where you can use any bait at any time and you're not kind of forced to throw the, uh, you know, the Alabama rig. So I'm, ex- I'm definitely excited about that. Cool. I mean, that's that's fair. We've got one email question from a listener from Blake Dennis. Kind he, of answered it, but I mean, maybe he's got yeah, some we more, more went over advice. It, but, but maybe we've got something more specific to it or something. Yeah. But he says, "What advice do you have for aspiring tournament anglers?" You know, Blake, that's a great question. And uh, what what I would say is, if you're going to be an aspiring tournament angler, for one. Uh, the the bass club system, uh, system anymore the federation and whatever those guys there's a lot of really really good fishermen that you can you can learn and kind of hone your craft a little bit and then and then start out and fish some BFLs and uh, ever starts and fish as a co angler in the back of the boat um, you know with some touring pros or whatever there's a lot of different avenues now to uh, to get started but uh, you know the key to me is time on the water. And the more you can fish with different people and learn different techniques, I know one of the biggest problems that I had, um, I, was, I was a Florida guy. All I knew was grass. And it took me a lot of years when I left Florida to even figure out how you catch one. You know, I'm used to 25-pound test and, you know, or big rods and everything else. And then I'd go out to Beaver Lake and you were looking at, you get <laughs> off the bank and it's 100 feet deep and you need to be throwing six and eight-pound tests. And I didn't have a clue, but... Um, just over the years, just a lot of time on the water, it, it kind of, you know, you just keep picking up little techniques here and little techniques there, and you just get better and better. And so if I was an aspiring pro right now and starting out, I would fish as much as I could. I'd fish as many tournaments at whatever level I could get into. And um, if you get an opportunity to fish in the back of the boat and, you know, be a co anger or whatever and learn some of the, you know, the ways that some of these pros go about, you know, attacking bodies, different bodies of waters or whatever is really key. And, you know, that's what I think the, the young people out there right now have a major advantage because, for one, there's tons of information, tons of information like you're, you know, like what we're doing today in the FLW magazine and just there's tons of literature out there that they can really study. But then more than anything, it's actual time on the water and fishing with different people and, uh, you know, I think if there's, the sky's the limit right now, if somebody wants to be in a, you know, a pro fisherman in five years, you know, the, the opportunity is definitely out there. Cool. 
And then my last question, I guess, is you've got a charity tournament of some sort coming up, I think, near the end of January. I was wondering if you could go into a little more detail about that, sort of plug it for us, let us know what's going on. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, I definitely do. I've got a good friend, Channing Crowder, who was a standout at uh, linebacker at the uh, University of Florida, and we won't hold that against him. But, uh, <laughs> he was a Dolphin, anyway, too, right? Then he was captain of the Miami Dolphins yeah. and just a super guy, and he's got a uh, radio talk show down here on uh, 560 WQAM, and he uh, he's just an avid, avid um fisherman he he just absolutely loves it and we were talking and um he's a huge supporter of the uh boys and girls club and one thing led to another and he's like why don't we hold a tournament and uh a fishing tournament and so we just started brainstorming and he figured if he could get his dolphin buddies together and i could get a bunch of flw pros maybe we could raise a bunch of money for uh the boys and girls club and we've got a really neat event coming up it's uh january 31st it's open to the public, um, and it's going to be a it's going to be a regular bass tournament. It's two hundred dollar uh, team tournament entry fee, but we also have a, a really neat thing for somebody that wants to get in on the sponsor side. For twenty five hundred dollars, um, you can pay your money and you can get to go fishing fishing with either uh, an FLW pro or an FLW pro and a uh, dolphin football player. And it's going to be a lot of money, and we've got a lot of great sponsors right now. And you know, that's one thing I got to say. I've called uh, called a bunch of my friends on tour and said, you know, hey, I need 25 guys to come down here and help us, you know, with this event and whatever. And you know, these guys just open up their time, and it's it's great. So we've got some really really great fishermen. We've got uh, Randall Tharp and Clark Winlet and David Dudley and Daryl Robertson, Chad wow. Grigsby, Dave LaFever. I mean, the, the list goes on and on about the guys that are coming down. And so it's going to be a neat thing for, uh, for, you know, some of these guys that are trying to, uh, fish with an FLW pro, but even more than that, to get to fish with, uh, you know, my wife, she's a, was a huge dancing with the stars guy and Jason Taylor's coming. He's an ex dolphin <laughs> player and he's, I guess he's, uh, the incredible, uh, good-looking man that uh, she wants to even sponsor for twenty-five hundred. If she could get to fish with Jason Taylor, I think she'd pay the money up front. So, <laughs> anyway, it's going to be a great event, and we're really excited about it. And uh, in addition to the fishing that night, we're going to have a just a big party, and uh, with a live auction, silent auctions, raffles, all kind of stuff, and got a country band and barbecue and. It's it's really going to be a neat event. So if anybody's interested, you can go on. We've got a website at ccbasstournament.com, and CC's Channing Crowder. And uh, it really is it's going to be a great event, and we would love to have uh, any and everybody come out. And anybody that wants to fish the tournament, you can get in. Uh, like I said, you can. it's just a team tournament, $200 a boat, and you can go have fun and compete against the FLW guys and the uh, sponsors or whatever, or if you just want to come out to the uh, to the big after party or whatever, I think you can go on and buy, uh, you know, drink and uh, dinner tickets, and we'd love to have you come to the weigh-in and come to the after party also. Sounds, sounds like, like a, a pretty cool deal. Yeah, sounds awesome, and it's for a great cause as well. It really is. The Boys and Girls Club, I think in uh, Broward County alone, there's uh, between twelve and 13,000 kids that uh, they service, and... It's going to be a really fun day, and then the next day on Saturday we're going to have a local thing for the kids. We're going—I've got a bunch of my buddies are 
staying over and we're going to take uh, the kids to there's a park cb smith park and we've got them all rods and reels and that have been wow. uh, donated by some of our sponsors and some fishing tackle and a bunch of things so each kid will get a rod and reel and they can stand around and talk to some flw guys and maybe catch some fish in the lakes there at the park and uh just have a good time and have a little barbecue for them too so it's a uh, it really is a great thing we're raising a bunch of money but we're also uh going to get to have a little fun with the kids also sounds fantastic if you're in south florida you know where you need to be on january 31st it sounds like It'd definitely be fun, and we'd love to have everybody come out. And like I said, even if you can't fish in the tournament or whatever, come to the party. It'll be a great time, and uh, get to hang out with a bunch of FLW pros and see the see the boats and things. But also with uh, Channing and all his dolphin buddies. Yeah, that sounds like a very cool deal, Joe. Do you have? Any final questions or anything before uh, we wrap no this up? No questions. I just wanted to thank Mike for coming on and being such a great guest. I mean, here we are almost 35 minutes in, and it felt like we just started. So <laughs> thanks for coming on, Mike. You were great. Well, I appreciate it, and thanks for having me. And I uh, look forward to um, you know doing this again someday with you guys. Hopefully it will be after I win a tournament. Hey, we like it. Yeah, we'll keep our eye on Okeechobee. Thank you for coming on. Best uh, of luck in 2014. Thanks a bunch, guys, and thanks for having me. You bet. All right, take it easy. Take care. So, Joe, I loved that interview because I got him on the phone a couple weeks ago and talked about Okeechobee with him, and I just really enjoyed talking to him. Like, he's just a nice guy to talk to. Definitely. He's a good talker. So I was excited for it. I think it turned out really well. Did you have any high points of the interview? Uh, Well, I thought the whole thing was good. He just seemed like a genuinely nice guy. I hate to rip off, you know, a phrase from uh, the great Matthew Barry, he, the host of Fantasy Focus podcast on ESPN, but that was the definitive Mike Sermon interview right there. I oh. don't know if there's been a better Mike Sermon interview. Oh, for sure. It was, without a doubt, the definitive Mike Sermon interview. <laughs> I mean, we learned that he invented punching. Yeah. We got to hear about Gambler. We got to hear about how he won literally everything on Okeechobee for Eight a period of boats. time. Eight fully rigged boats. Can you imagine? That is that is insane. I honestly, I don't know if I. I'm struggling to think of somebody that I know who's had a more dominant stretch, or that I know on, of who's had a more like dominant a stretch lake. on a body of water. Definitely. You know, Dave Wolak had a stretch on Candlewood Reservoir in Connecticut where he was did absolutely insane work, but I don't know if it was for as long and. I certainly wasn't fishing as many tournaments as Mike did. And, I yeah, mean, yeah you could s- argue Christie on Grand, but he doesn't have the longevity that Mike does. I mean, Mike did it for 20 years. He's still doing it. Yeah, and I mean, there's probably somebody out west who I don't know of. But it seems like uh, that's just incredible to me. And the fact that he stumped, that he was a guy who started punching and flipping <laughs> one ounce plus weights is just so cool because I can um, just a, you know, when I get on a good pattern and that l- light bulb goes on, I'm like, oh, this might work. That's great. He got on a whole new technique with that, and his light bulb went on, and he started just crushing them. I can't imagine how cool that had to have been when he sort of figured that out yeah, and had the light that breakthrough. Bulb goes on. I thought it was crazy that I had no idea he still has a full time engineering job. I mean, he works 50 hours a week. Like, that's pretty crazy to me. Uh, he's a 
top FLW Tour pro. He's been around, been doing this for 20, 30 years now. Yeah, for him to be able to balance both of those things. And, you know, he said himself, but recently he hasn't had the greatest years sure. on the tour. But for him just to be able to do those two things at the same time mm-hmm. and maintain some semblance of work-life balance is really pretty incredible because most of the guys who are fishing six full full tournaments someplace else where they have to travel a bunch are doing that either full-time or yeah, their other there's not job a lot of full-time jobs that will allow you to do that time job you know it's something Definitely. that they do on the weekends when they have a chance or something maybe they're painting houses they're not holding up a full-time gig which is really pretty incredible when you think about it that he's just able to do that on the face of it yeah i look forward to uh the time when he when the time comes when he leaves his job and does get to go for a few years and fish just full-time and really see what he can do see if he can still compete yeah i I'd, I'd like to see that too i you know you we've seen him sort of throughout the years fluctuate up and down and mm-hmm. stuff like that it'd be really cool to like, see if like once... you said he has had some really high finishes in aoi i mean he was a third one year he was a seventh one year like he's He's, yeah. he's a stick when he wants to be, he, or when uh, he has the time to be. He placed fourth in the Forestwood Cup once. He's got ten top tens. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not like he's done terrible, but it would be really cool to see, because I didn't know he held up a full-time job. It would be really cool to see, if he had the more, more time to devote to it, mm-hmm. how good he could be. Thing is, I don't know if he would want to. It sounded like he was pretty happy there i mean he he had nothing but positive things to say about it so yeah it does sound like he's got a pretty good system worked out i mean it's 85 where he is he fished on the weekend things can't be that bad right 84 degrees that's ridiculous that is ridiculous oh man that's (laughs) i don't even want to talk about it all right jody i think that about does it for this week any other thoughts not really i think that's it i think we had a good podcast this week i i feel good about it i think our sermon interview it was great. It was one of my favorite ones that we've done so far. Definitely. Episode 9, in the books. Only 57 more days to Lake Okeechobee. Well, even less than that if you count the Everstart, right? Yeah. And we've got, yeah, and that's we've got the a tour BF- event, so. And we've got a BFL, I think, even before that, that, or a couple of BFLs, I'm sure, that we can start to look at. I'm, I tell you what, I am, I'm dying to start seeing some fish again. Definitely. It's been too long. Definitely. It's been a long winter already, and we've still got a few more weeks to go, but... We're, we're knocking it out, though. That's the good news. Yeah, absolutely. So, you guys, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week, episode 10. Yeah, you can find us on iTunes. You can find uh, FLW, flwoutdoors.com, on Instagram, on Pinterest, on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook. Did I get everything? Nailed them all. I'm getting good nice at job. this. Where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at VT Basser. All right. You can find me on Twitter as well, at Joe Opogger. O-P-A-G-E-R. Yep. Very tough name there. Yeah. Difficult one O-Pager. to pronounce. I've been called O-Pager my whole life, but it's pronounced O-Pager, So I personally Thank prefer you. Opager. Opager? All right. My nickname growing up was Joey O, so I still I still get that a lot. Around, and around here in the office, it's Jopager. I get that a lot. So Have whatever. It could be worse. All right. Well, anyhow, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Later, guys.